as we are See us and we're holy In this shall we shall ever be Holy ourselves Your love will take us far Praise us and we'll show you From heaven to, to the glory holes Glorious and free Good morning, everyone. My name is Colette Gelwix. My pronouns are she and her. I'm a member of your Board of Trustees, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to service this morning at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. As we begin, we honor the Piscataway people and their ancestors. It's upon their land that we in Columbia reside. We are served by the Reverend Paige Getty Minister, as well as a talented and dedicated team of religious educators, musicians, and other professional staff. I want to express my gratitude to all within our community who are striving to keep us connected and to provide meaningful worship services at this unusual and trying time. Whoever you are, 
wherever you're from, whoever you love, and whatever your faith tradition, you are welcome here. We particularly welcome any guests who are watching this service. We hope that you'll join us in the future when we return to worship at the Owen Brown Interfaith Center so that we'll have a chance to meet you and welcome you in person. We have two announcements this morning. First, we hope to see you at 4 p.m. today for our monthly Black Lives Matter vigil in Columbia. Join us to give public witness to the problem of anti-Black racism in our neighborhood, nation, and to show that all lives will matter when Black lives matter. Please bring your own signs and plan to wear a mask. And second, if you have recently become a UUCC member, wish to become one, or are interested in learning more about membership, you're invited to join Reverend Page and Sarah Davidson this Wednesday at 6 p.m. for a membership session. RSVP to Sarah via her email, which you can find in the chat. Thank you so much, Colette, and good morning, everyone. My name is Paige Getty. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and it is my great honor to serve as minister of this congregation, and I'm thrilled to be celebrating Pride with you this morning. If you're a newcomer with us, we would encourage you to fill out our visitor form so that we can be in touch and get to know you better and you us. If you would like to follow along in an order of service, that's available to download as a PDF document from the website. And if you have personal joys or sorrows that you'd like to contribute and have read later in the service, please send those to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net. And we will be honoring joys and sorrows early in the service today, so go ahead and get those in. Thank you to Tim and Chris and Liam and all the tech team and virtual ushers and staff who work behind the scenes week in and week out to make worship happen every Sunday. Thanks to regular contributors, Colette and Valerie and Robin for your participation today. And to Jamel Howard, who's here as a special guest from PFLAG and HOCO Pride. And to Alex Norton and Bob Jackson for your personal reflections. And finally, very special thanks to Jill Christensen, who will share a personal reflection this morning and who also offered the original idea for focusing on allyship as we celebrate pride today. It was a delicate choice to make actually because we don't want to center allies on a day when we're celebrating the unique fabulousness and the unique dangers of being a queer person in this world. But as Jill has observed in a congregation that is predominantly not queer, it's important that we all recognize our appropriate places in collective liberation for all. So today we do celebrate queerness and we celebrate what it means to be queer and to have allies and we celebrate what it means truly to be an ally. We're going to begin though with a moment of memorial and remembrance. Yesterday was the fifth anniversary of the deadly, devastating attack at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida. My college friend, Jen, the Reverend Jen Stiles Williams, serves as lead pastor of St. Luke's Church in Orlando. The Rev uh, it's a large Christian church. In fact, it's a United Methodist Church. And they have been at the center of the interfaith response to that horrific event. On June 12, 2016, says Jen, our lives in Orlando and really around the world changed as we began throughout the morning to understand the devastation of the tragedy where 49 souls were taken at the Pulse nightclub. 
It's something that rocked us all, that tore innocent, beautiful people away from family and friends and loved ones. And it reminded us that we have a lot of work to do to help people, especially people of faith, know how beloved our LGBTQ community is to us, but also to their God. So we pray as we continue to find ways to, bright, to bring light to this horrible tragedy, to remember these beautiful names, these lives, people who remind us how precious life is and how important it is to remember love wins. At their online Orlando vigil yesterday, four clergy spoke the words of this prayer that I offer now as you view the names of the 49 people whose lives were taken that night, the 49 angels, they called them. God of all creation, straight, queer, black, brown, and white, this city beautiful and all of your world, please retune the music, rewrite the script. Wherever bigotry is cast, wherever hatred is given a leading role, we ask for your love to claim the stage and beckon all to your spotlight of love and hope. Five years ago, we saw hate, evil, and oppression raise a hand against our siblings. 49 angels now stand by your side and call us to be better, to stand taller, and to be united to out-love hate. Holy God, who calls us all beloved, bring us together, bring us into understanding and release us from our fear of one another. Let your redeeming love clash with the dividing violent chaos we continue to create. Lead us in your love that we might learn to live and lead through your love. We call our better angels to keep us in the work of stirring up some good trouble on behalf of your kingdom and in remembrance of our 49 angels. May our pulse always beat as one with you, one with each other, and one in love to all the world. Amen. So this morning, in memory of these 49 angels and as a rededication of our commitment to love, we light our flaming chalice. I was very moved by the St. Luke's vigil that included a litany of names and photos of each of those angels, as well as music and testimony from survivors. So Jen is going to place the link in the chat in case you wanna save it and watch that vigil sometime on your own. For now, I invite you to hear the bell and let us worship together. Will you now join in speaking together our congregational covenant, those words are appearing on your screen, 
as we continue to make and remake these promises to one another. Strengthened by our common humanity and inspired by our seven principles, we promise to be a safe and welcoming community, to nurture each other's hearts and spirits, to delight in the beauty of our diversity, to struggle together on our spiritual journeys, and to challenge each other to live our values. Thus, we pledge our time and vigor to the continuing celebration of spirit, of the world, and of humankind. And now the host is gonna give you about 30 seconds to unmute yourselves and say hello to all the beautiful faces who are gathered here today. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Robin Slaw. I'm your director of religious education, and I use the pronouns she and her. You're hearing a story this morning about a crayon who had an identity crisis. No matter what Red tries to do, Red is not able to make anything work. Red can't live up to everyone else's expectations. So this is really a story about a journey to find oneself. And imagine, if you will, a person in place of the crayon, not able to live up to the expectations that everyone lays on them. I wonder how you might help a person experiencing this kind of disorientation and despair. And I wonder if you could be a friend to a person the way Fuchsia is a friend to Red. Go ahead and play it. Red, a Crayon Story by Michael Hall. He was red, but he wasn't very good at it. Oh dear, said Olive. His teacher thought he needed more practice. Scarlet said, I'll draw a red strawberry, then you draw a red strawberry. You can do this, really. But he couldn't, really. Like this, said Red. Oh my, let's try this again, said Scarlet. His mother thought he needed to mix with other colors. 
Olive said, why don't you two go out and draw a nice round orange? Yellow said, a really big one. Red said, a really orange one. But they made a big greenish one. Yuck, said Yellow. Oops, said Red. His grandparents thought he wasn't warm enough. Silver said, your class is making self-portraits for a parent's night. Wear this warm red scarf. And Gray said, nice, it's so you. But it so wasn't. Oh, dear me, said Silver. Everyone seemed to have something to say. Sometimes I wonder if he's really read it all, said Amber. Hazelnut said, don't be silly. It says red on his label. Cocoa Bean said, he came that way from the factory. Fuchsia said, frankly, I don't think he's very bright. Grape said, well, I think he's lazy. And Army Green said, right, he's got to press harder. And Steely Gray said, really apply himself. And Sunshine said, give him some time. He'll catch on. And Sea Green said, of course he will. But he didn't catch on. Green drew a green frog. And Black drew a black sheep. And Brown drew a brown cow and red. Ack! All the art supplies wanted to help. The masking tape thought he was broken inside. This will help hold you together. The scissors thought his label was too tight. One snip should do it. I thought he wasn't sharp enough, said the sharpener. Stay still now. But even with all our help and all his hard work, he just couldn't get the hang of it. One day he met a new friend. Barry said, will you make a blue ocean for my boat? And Red said, I can't, I'm Red. Fuchsia said, Will you try? So he did. And Fuchsia said, Thank you, it's perfect. And Red said, You're welcome. It was easy. And he didn't stop there. He drew bluebells and blue jeans and blue birds and blue berries and a blue whale. <gasps> I'm blue. He was blue, and everyone was talking. Olive said, my son is brilliant. And Amber said, who could have known he was blue? And Hazelnut said, I always said he was blue. And Cocoa Bean said, it was obvious. And Barry said, his blue ocean really lifted me. And Sea Green said, all of his work makes me happy. 
and Brown said, his blue strawberries are my favorites. And Apple Green said, he's so intense. And Yellow said, I'm going to make a green lizard with him, a really big one. And Gray said, I hear he's working on a new huge project. And Scarlet said, he is really reaching for the sky. And he really was. Isn't it a beautiful day? It's perfect. Please join me in singing hymn number 170, We Are a Gentle Angry People. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Valerie. We are now going to pause to honor the joys and sorrows that are being held among us this morning. We haven't had any personal joys and sorrows submitted today, but I know there is much joy and sorrow among us. So we're going to begin with one stone for the grief, for the sorrow, for the celebrations, the pride, the joy that you're holding, even if we're not giving it voice this morning. But also, Valerie Shu, our Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries, is going to join me here in this space to share some very special joys as we honor the students who have been active in youth group in recent years and who have been graduated from high school this spring. Valerie? Good morning. So we place a stone today for the accomplishments of Cameron Gates, whose calm presence and perseverance among his friends and whose dedication to his family are examples to us all. 
We place a stone of gratitude for Alex Horn, whose unflinching vision for the world as it should be inspires us out of complacency and gives us hope for the future. A stone of admiration for Shana Keeley and her insistence on going all in on whatever she sets her mind to, never doing anything halfway, partway, or even most of the way. A stone of wonder for Marie Paycheck, whose curiosity, intellect, diligence, and intentionality teach us how to explore the world around us, engage with our communities, and know ourselves. We place a stone of celebration for Zoe Schlossnagel, whose drive to achieve is matched only by her drive to live life fully and to love her family and friends well. A stone of thanksgiving for the compassion and generosity of Ellie Steffen, whose big-hearted, clear-eyed pursuit of justice honors the inherent worth and dignity of us all. We place a stone of appreciation for Elena von Schlag, who brings joy to everyone she encounters, whose thoughtful insights and unequivocal honesty has challenged those who know her to do more, to be better. A stone of recognition for Samantha Yakitis and her prodigious musical and performance artistry honed with passion and dedication through the years and generously shared with this community. We also place a stone of praise for the parents, the guardians and champions of Cam, Alex, Shana, Zoe, Ellie, Marie, Elena and Samantha who have given themselves faithfully to the call of loving, supporting, guiding, mentoring, inspiring, challenging, feeding, clothing, and sheltering these dynamic young adults. And we place a stone of anticipation for the ways these eight graduates will transform their communities and the world. As they embark on their journeys through the next chapters of their lives, may they travel confidently, knowing this religious community is walking with them the entire way. May these graduates do all the good they can by all the means they can in all the ways they can in all the places they can at all the times they can to all the people they can as long as ever they can. Will you now join me for a few moments of reflection and prayer? In awe and in humble gratitude, we honor the pride, the joy, the accomplishment and admiration of those we celebrate today in our community. How much better we all are for these relationships among us, for the ways that we nurture one another and challenge one another and celebrate one another. May we be nourished by this community that we might go from here and bring that courage and that love and that celebration into the world so that all know freedom 
and justice and joy and beauty. We share a few moments now of quiet and stillness that we might be fully aware of prayer and of wonder around us and within us. Amen. Blessed be. do not get to declare myself an ally. I do not get to say I am an ally to those who are targeted by racism in America, or I am an ally to transgender persons, or I am an ally to undocumented immigrants. I may set an intention to be an ally for those who would like to have my allyship, but my declaring it does not make it so. I must be invited, welcomed into that role. The one aspect of my life for which I have most needed allies is as a woman in a patriarchal, misogynistic world, in a profession that is historically male-dominated. And I have experienced the allyship of many men who are truly committed to understanding their own implicit sexist biases and the systemic sexism in which we all live, who are willing to do the messy, long-haul work of unpacking and dismantling the ways that patriarchy hurts us all. And it is messy, this life of being anti-oppressive and justice-making. Years ago, I was invited to serve on a panel in a workshop about being transgender. I was the only cisgender person on the panel and I had been invited there as an identified ally by colleagues who had known me for years. My relationship with these colleagues was well-established, trusting, deep. So during the panel, at one point, I jumped in to answer a question about the relationship between gender identity and sexual orientation. I was so pleased with myself, confident that I could contribute helpfully. And what I said wasn't awful, it wasn't outright wrong, but it also wasn't completely right. 
So kindly but firmly, one of the other panelists corrected. Well, what Paige said is true for some people, but it's not my experience. I learned that day and have been learning ever since that the truth was far more nuanced than I knew. I was embarrassed in that moment, but also appreciative of this relationship in which I was encouraged to grow and learn. In a recent sermon in her internship congregation, our own Laura Solomon spoke about allyship, and she reminded her listeners that we become allies in relationship. Only then can we be welcomed into the role of ally by those who desire and need us. And we become allies by practicing and messing up and trying again and messing up and practicing and trying again over and over in relationship. And part of how it happens is by remaining open and living with genuine curiosity about how others among us experience the world differently than we do by choosing not to project our own experiences onto others. A UUCC member who has given permission for me to share this story and I were in a small group gathering a few months ago and she, a cisgender woman, shared vulnerably that she didn't really understand why we were broadcasting our pronouns putting them in our Zoom names and in our email signatures, saying them when we introduce ourselves and so forth. So I shared that I do it because people who are not cisgender have asked me to as an ally. And we talked about some of the reasons that it promotes a diversity of gender. It normalizes the naming of one's own gender and discourages us from making assumptions about others' genders. And it's a signal you might even say it's the good kind of virtue signaling to those who are transgender, genderqueer, non-binary, that someone is a potential ally, a safe person, or that a community or congregation is a potential sanctuary. This person and I were together again recently. She told me that after our conversation, she added her pronouns to her email signature at work. And within weeks, a coworker came out to her as transgender, and they told her that seeing her pronouns helped give them the confidence to come out at work, knowing that this woman would be a likely source of support, a potential ally. I do not get to declare myself an ally. Only in relationship and in practicing, messing up and trying again, might I grow such that I'm invited into that role? Relationship, says Justice Doula Mickey Scott Bay Jones, is the abrasion that agitates enough to make a way forward. Relationship, consistent and ongoing encounter with people and perspectives different than our own, it smooths the way for the sacred, even as it rubs us raw. Today, we celebrate the fabulousness of being queer. And for those among us who aren't queer, may we listen and learn and grow in relationship, consistent and ongoing encounter that we may truly be allies. We invited several members to offer personal reflections today 
and Alex Norton is one who accepted the invitation. Alex is a high school student and a relative newcomer to UUCC. And in response to the invitation to share a story about an ally who has made a personal difference, you're getting ready to hear the reflection that Alex wrote. Unfortunately, Alex had technical challenges, so we're not going to hear their own voice. We thank Valerie for reading Alex's words. I'm transgender and non-binary. I came out to my grandma over two months ago and the experience wasn't positive. She has been using my name recently and appeared to be progressing. My birth mom was with us most of the time we were together last and continuously corrected my grandma when she occasionally misgendered or dead named me. She made a few comments that were very disrespectful, but overall she was doing okay. We dropped my mom off and went shop at her house and went shopping. As we went through the store, she continuously deadnamed me, misgendered me, and pushed me to wear feminine and tight clothing. She made the same disrespectful comments from earlier and overall dropped all effort once my birth mom wasn't there to correct her. I felt like I couldn't speak and had to pretend to be something I'm not. This experience, as well as past experiences, made me not want to be around her again anytime soon. My mom and I had been planning a trip to see her in Delaware for a while, and it was time to finalize things, but I felt stuck. I told my mom how I was feeling and asked her if she could stay by my side the entire time. She told me she'd stay with me the whole trip and continue to help my grandma understand and learn to respect my identity. Her allyship and willingness to stand up for me will hopefully help my grandma progress and allow me to visit her without being scared. It may seem like that's what any mom should do, but this is a dream to most transgender youth. I never expected the support I have. There's an expectation for LGBT youth to prove themselves to others, but because there's a huge power imbalance, many of us simply can't take that pressure. Allies helping others understand allows some of that pressure to be relieved and standing up for us gives us a chance to feel protected, validated, and respected. Thank you, Valerie, and thank you, Alex. In a few minutes, we're gonna hear more personal reflections from Bob and Jill, but first, a special musical offering. Last month, musician Spencer LaJoy wrote on social media, if you know me well, you know I don't pray. It's not that I don't know how or that I don't think the practice can be fruitful. It's just that some of us get prayed for in ways we don't want, in ways that don't honor us, in ways that re-closet us, in ways that short-circuit our grief, in ways that pity us, in ways that really hurt. So I tend to avoid it in the name of do no harm. But I was tasked with writing a song for a prayer communion gathering on Monday, so I had to stare prayer in the face. And I thought, what would a prayer sound like if it was used as a balm instead of a weapon, a plowshare instead of a sword? So here's my go at that, a plowshare prayer. They've given permission for the song and video to be shared, and they don't require compensation, but they do invite you to join them on Patreon or make a contribution to an anti-racist organization for having enjoyed this piece. Jen will share those relevant links after we listen. So here you are, a plowshare prayer. Mm -hmm. 
sibling, dear baby, dear patiently waiting, dear sad and confused, dear stuck and abused, dear end of your rope, dear worn out and broke, dear go it alone, dear running from home, dear righteously angry, forsaken by family, dear jaded and quiet, dear tough and defiant, I Amen 
Hi, I'm Bob Jackson. I'm uh, going to share some thoughts about my experience of striving to become an LGBTQ ally. Disclaimer language that I use regarding LGBTQ issues has evolved over the years. I'll be using some of the terminology we used 20 or 25 years ago. When I moved to Columbia in the early 1970s, I watched David, the son of good friends, Mike and Patty Glasgow, as he grew up. He was bright, musically talented, and active in his church youth group. His interest in music and musical theater developed in high school and college. I attended his college graduation music recital in Pennsylvania. Near the close of the concert, he paused and explained to the audience that he was a gay man. He came out. Now in the mid 1990s, I didn't think I knew anybody who was gay. Thus his coming out blew my mind. I had heard that he aspired to go to a seminary and become a Methodist minister. Methodists did not ordain gay people at that time. It seemed to me that he had just shot himself in the foot. I didn't understand how he could do that to himself. At that moment, I began my journey to a better understanding of homosexuality and why my faith traditions, at that time Methodist and Presbyterian, were struggling to deal with this issue. I read books and articles, participated in discussions. My congregation also studied and took an inclusive stand. I was asked to represent my congregation in a newly formed organization of eight Presbyterian congregations in the Baltimore area who all supported the calling of LGBT clergy to the pulpit. Our board was a mix of gay and straight members from these congregations. We raised funds, hired a gay Presbyterian minister to work with us in Baltimore. For the next decade, we worked in Baltimore and with sister groups across the country to urge our Presbyterian denomination to become more inclusive. As Maryland began to consider marriage equality, we lobbied in Annapolis and gathered names of clergy from multiple faith traditions who were willing to support progressive legislation. David, who inspired me to strive to become an ally, continued his journey, became a minister, when legal, married his longtime partner, 
and now serves as the Minister of Music to a UU congregation in Pennsylvania. I'll, I'll always be grateful to David for his impact on the course of my life. Now, I was going to end there, but Jill Christensen suggests that I share how this journey impacts my life today. One, it helped lead me to UUCC, where I saw visible LGBTQ leadership in the congregation. I taught OWL classes and appreciated our PFLAG sponsorship. More recently, in another social issue, justice issue, it helped inspire me to strive to become an ally supporting the Black Lives Matter cause. Thanks, David. Bob, your actions are so very powerful. This is Jill Christensen. Hi, I go by she and hers. I wanna talk about what it means to be an ally. For me, it means to be present, to engage, to ask questions if they're welcome. To not expect that those with whom I seek to be an ally will wanna teach me about what is offensive or what is appropriate. It means doing my homework, being someone who walks the talk. Allyship is not a one-stop shop of, oh yeah, I'm gonna be an ally now. It's an ongoing process that comes with endless opportunities for moment, momentary interventions, as well as long-term steadfast support. It is a process. It does have bumps. Though I'm an ally in some situations, such as with race, disability, immigration rights, and LGBT issues, I also benefit from allies as I navigate the world. As a lesbian, I expect that an LGBT ally will see my sexual orientation as one of the many facets of who I am not the defining factor. I've been centered in my lesbian feminist identity since I was 19. Every day, and I'm now 62, I have to decide whether I will out myself in new settings. It's always a question of safety in my environment and sometimes about how much I wanna share of my life. As a mom, I had to make decisions that would impact not only me, but my daughter, Hannah. And now, as I share my life with my wife, Pamela, who's African-American, being out means simultaneously taking into consideration the risks of racial intolerance and homophobic intolerance. It depends on the situation. So for example, recently, um, after a couple of hours being at the emergency room, a young LPN at the hospital asked me, who's driving you home? After measuring the situation and having time on our side, I let her know my wife was picking me up. This evolved from initial awkwardness to a great chat about our families. She asked me layers of questions about my family. This young health professional, well, she, her story, she came from Burundi a few years ago, fleeing with her family the strife in her homeland. We swapped stories. As we finally got to the right door at the hospital, Pamela was there ready to drive me home. Imagine the hospital employee's surprise 
and a gift to see us reunite. By choosing to out myself as a lesbian, as well as outing my life partner, I took a risk with this hospital employee. This allows her to grow in understanding as a caregiver and as an ally. For allies, there's a choice about whether to step up and be present. This is especially true in situations of intervening in discrimination and bias, whether that is with loved ones or with strangers. Yeah, that's part of being an ally. There's choices about how to establish physical and emotional safety. It does take courage. A few years ago, back in my international relations work, I'd been reamed out by the former president of my union for a decision I made in planning for a Brazilian carnival event. It was gonna be dynamic, we had a budget, and we did it. But in addition to the dynamic, incredible samba band, the celebration for 1,500 people included drag queens as greeters. Well, if you know me well, you know that cultural respect is essential as to how I approach life. And in the traditional Brazilian carnival, queens are a treasured custom. This president spattered his vehemence and LGBT hate on me. Yes, it was his own bigoted stuff. After initially pushing back on this vial, I left its office shell-shocked with my heart beating. Just as soon as my supervisor learned what had happened, she took him on, his bullying ways, providing an immediate defense to my decisions. She showed up for me as an ally and helped me regain my footing. You see, my workplace, we had non-discrimination policies, which included LGBT. And even so, my supervisor went out of her way when human resources wouldn't touch this challenge because of course it was the leader of the organization who was doing it. As an ally, my supervisor had my back. She helped me by affirming me and confirmed my decision and that the decisions I had taken were right. How would you respond to situations where homophobia and transphobia are at play? Have you ever intervened? Whether ignoring a side joke or witnessing outright violence, bystanders have a responsibility. I've learned that by not speaking out, you're actually part of the problem. And allies make mistakes. They bumble with good intentions at times. That's just part of the learning. Two examples from my life with allies include, as Pamela and I were getting ready for Reverend Getty to do our wedding ceremony, a number of people in the congregation were aware of this. One member assumed that because she had been making affirming LGBT comments and affirming our issues, that of course we would invite her to the wedding. I had to explain it didn't quite work that way. In another experience, my sister, trying to be real cool and really inclusive, awkwardly said to her friends one time that she thought was good in, hey, remember I told you my sister's a dyke. Hey, notes to allies, 
There is insider and outsider language. Know the difference. She transgressed that day. I see these two as experiences as teachable moments that led my UUCC friend and my sister to being stronger and better LGBT allies. For me, but beyond me, importantly, for others. You know, in this concept of allies, we've got to consider the math. Even if at best 15% of the population was LGBTQ+, in order to change cultural norms and public policy, we need a majority. Right now, the United States has no law on public accommodations that protects LGBT people from discrimination. The Equality Act of 2021 before the Senate would change this if enough allies stand up and are counted. And that includes majority. If you don't know about the Equality Act of 2021, Google it. It's about public accommodations, work discrimination, housing discrimination, like when I was turned down for a mortgage, credit. Yes, this would be a federal law that would protect those in our congregation who fall under the LGBTQ umbrella. But you know what? It would also impact us in South Dakota, in Mississippi, and throughout the nation, especially in states that have not had forethought in passing its own uh, LGBT defense and discrimination laws. You know, it's not just the responsibility, not just my responsibility as someone who's LGBT plus who's within that umbrella to stand up to homophobia and transphobia. The work of securing a beloved community, it takes all of us. Today, allies are essential if we're gonna tackle injustice within UUCC and far beyond. Let's journey together. Let's sing together, Love Makes a Bridge. Thank you, Jill and Bob. And now I am so pleased to welcome all welcome our guest and introduce all of you who don't already know Jamel Howard, who's here from PFLAG and representing Howard County Pride that we are so glad is coming back in the fall. Howard County Pride is going to be the recipient of our second Sunday outreach offering today. And Jamel's gonna tell you just a little bit about it to inspire you to dig deep in your pockets and give generously. Jamel? 
Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Jamel Howard. My pronouns are he, him, his. And I'd like to start off by thanking you all for inviting me today and making it such a warm invite. It has been a beautiful service and it's honestly really inspiring. Um, UUCC is a sponsor of PFLAG in so many ways and the generosity of your congregation has touched so many lives. So from the bottom of my heart and from the many other hearts in PFLAG, I thank you all for your kind Christian hospitality in every way that y'all have given it. Uh, so yes, I'm here to talk about Howard County Pride. We will be returning October 9th, 2021. We will be at the Chrysalis in Symphony Woods. We have a lovely event planned so far. It includes mermaids, it includes food trucks, it includes drag queens, it includes historical walls, it includes a transgender memorial, it includes everything that you all got to enjoy in 2019, plus many more beautiful, amazing things. Uh, we definitely hope to see y'all there. It is a true blessing to live in a community with affirming congregations like this one. As someone who is also Christian, I can tell you that being able to walk into a church and have people actually accept you for who you are, it, it means a lot. It really does mean a lot. So I'm going to thank you all again for having us here and showing your support for the community. It goes a long way. And when people do come to Howard County, and they're trying to start their lives and they're trying to find an accepting community. They might ask about the school system. They might ask about the county government. They might ask about whatever else they're asking about. But one of the final questions everybody asks is about communities of faith and whether or not they can come and be who they are and be in a community that truly accepts them. And so again, I thank you all so much for having me today. You've supported our community in so many ways, and I'm just honored and truly blessed to be able to call y'all my neighbors and fellow community members. Thanks, Jamel. And thank you all for your generosity as we contribute to make Howard County Pride happen again this year. The giving instructions will appear on your screen and in the chat.
So the fabulous Billy Porter has recorded a six-minute video titled A Brief History of Overlooked Queer Political Actions. And Jill and I wanted to share it with you today, but it didn't quite fit in the main body of the service. So we're going to show it after we officially end the service. Um, for those of you who'd like to stay here in this main room instead of going into breakout rooms, after the first postlude song, the six-minute Billy Porter video will play. Um, it's interesting and entertaining. But for now, I offer these words in closing by Reverend M. Barclay of Enfleshed. God is queer, as in strange, surprising, titillating, non-conforming to norms that destroy, as in breaking open new possibilities through flesh entangled and brave acts of collective courage, as in troubling certainties resisting assimilation, and persisting through struggle together. As in interdependence, chosen family, and reaching out to isolated kin. As in always becoming. As in less this or that, and more multi-layered, multi-dimensional, and complex. As in intimately experienced and beyond definition, as in the love between strangers and sheets, the love that lasts for lifetimes, the love that begets love, as in resists white supremacy and all its deadening lies, rigid definitions, and desire to control and confine, as in loyal to love, lovers, beloveds, even when it's all on the line. As in hurtful when spit from the mouth of hate, but sometimes still also a lighthouse, a history of holy uprising and a coming home from within. Amen. Be well, UUCC. Happy Pride. You're familiar with Stonewall, of course, but what about the activist movements throughout history that haven't received as much attention? Let's take a look at some of the more obscure political actions that have also changed the course of queer history. A Brief History of Overlooked Queer Political Actions, narrated by Billy Porter, illustrated by Amit Greenberg. 1920s, the Society for Human Rights. When U.S. Army soldier Henry Gerber was stationed in Germany from 1920 to 1923, he saw the rise of homophile organizations, as gay rights groups were once called. Upon returning to Chicago in 1924, Gerber founded the Society for Human Rights, the first gay rights organization in America, which also produced the country's first gay rights newsletter called Freedom and Friendship. Shortly after the newsletter was disseminated, Gerber's home was raided by the police. He was arrested, his papers confiscated, he lost his job and life savings. The society fell apart. Later, Gerber relocated to New York City and began writing activist works again, this time under the pen name Parasex. He continued his activism until his death in the 1970s. The Mattachine Society was formed in the early 1950s by Harry Hay. 
It started in California, but quickly spread across the country, providing a space for gays and lesbians to gather and discuss their experiences. This was radical at a time when few Americans were out. In some places, it was illegal for homosexuals to gather at all. The organization declared homosexuals were an oppressed minority, that developing a community was essential to overcoming oppression, and that anti-gay legislation in the U.S. needed to be overturned. However, in 1953, the group's radical ideas were traded for more accommodationist ones, which stated that homosexuals should adapt to, not combat, heterosexual lifestyles in order to obtain equality. The Mattachines dissolved at the end of the 1960s when gay rights activism became more aggressive. The Daughters of Politis was formed in 1955 in San Francisco by Phyllis Lyon and Del Martin. It was named after poet Pierre Luis's The Songs of Bilitis, in which Bilitis was said to be a female lover of Greek poet Sappho. It was one of the first lesbian organizations ever established in the U.S. Originally assembled as a meeting place for lesbians, the group also held public forums to teach people about homosexuality and provided support to partnered, single, and parenting lesbians. The Daughters of Bilitis shut down in the early 1970s, but is known for its commitment to fostering understanding in and out of the lesbian community. The riot at Jean Compton's cafeteria in San Francisco's Tenderloin neighborhood happened in August 1966. A policeman grabbed a drag queen in an attempt to arrest her, and she threw a cup of coffee in his face. A riot began almost immediately, with glass windows smashed by thrown sugar shakers, tables flipped, and cutlery thrown. These particular Compton's customers had had enough. Cops had been arresting drag queens, gay hustlers, and transgender women at the 24-hour eatery regularly for cross-dressing, for obstructing the sidewalk, or for any reason they could find to throw them in jail. After the incident, the diner banned trans women, and the Tenderloin's largely queer community rebelled, picketing the establishment and breaking its new windows. The Compton's riots received no coverage at all in any of San Francisco's publications, but today, is recognized for its importance as one of the first queer uprisings against police brutality. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence first emerged in 1979 when four gay men, bored with the sameness of San Francisco's Castro district, put on retired nuns' habits. Realizing their presence could bring joy and initiate social change, they draw attention to queer discrimination and religious hypocrisy, promote safe sex, and educate against the dangerous effects of drug use, all the while raising money for AIDS, LGBTQ+, and community-related causes. Chapters have since expanded across the globe. Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, or STAR, was organized by queer historical icons and self-described drag queens, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. Both had been present at Stonewall and active in the Gay Liberation Front, and decided to organize homeless trans youth, drag queens, sex workers, immigrants, and low-income people in New York. Rivera and Johnson were homeless themselves, and saw STAR as a way to help provide shelter for the people they knew as their children. They bought a building, fixed it up, provided shelter and clothes for people who came through. STAR grew from New York to Chicago, California, and even England and lasted approximately three years before it shut down. While the riots at Stonewall are, of course, important, their story starts decades before and continues today. 
Thanks to people like Henry Gerber, Phyllis Lyon, Sylvia Rivera, Larry Kramer, and countless others, queer activism still has a loud and forceful voice in and out of the community. We owe so much to their legacy. We continue to speak out in honor of the strides they made for us and the lives we hope to change in the future. Yes, they 
Thank you.